You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Thanks for listening. Before we start, we'd like to issue a content warning. Today's discussion features themes and stories that may be sensitive to some listeners. Specifically, we will be discussing childhood sexual trauma. This is a complex topic involving emotional pain, abuse, and trauma. Therefore, we want to ensure our listeners are prepared and comfortable before proceeding with this episode. It is important to us to create a safe and considerate space for all listeners. If you find this content distressing, it is important to skip this episode. Self-care is paramount. We want you to feel safe while engaging in our content. In addition, if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse or trauma, remember that help is available. If you're in the U.S., you can contact RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at 1-800-656-HOPE or 4673 or via their online chat at RAIN.org. That's, excuse me, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Please remember to look after yourselves and each other. Let's all continue to support and care for one another as we navigate these topics together. We are thankful for your understanding, and as always, we appreciate your continued support for our show. Thanks for being here. In as little or as as much detail as you'd like, would you mind sharing a little bit about your experience and the impact it's had on your life? Sure. Um, So I was uh, sexually abused by my older brother. I started when I was five and lasted for two years um and then I only it only stopped because I happened to tell my older sister and she told my parents um at which point he was sent away and it had an impact in like every part of my life um self-confidence um relationships, uh, pretty much everything. I remember if we can go just jump to relationships, that's the last <laughs> thing you, you talked about. I remember when we first met, um, there was a point in our, our work together. And I, well, let me preface this. I consider myself to be a pretty sex positive therapist, mm-hmm. um, and, and open-minded and all that good stuff. But I do remember asking you if the things we would talk about, um, I had asked, if you had distinguished or if it even mattered that the type of intimacy you were interested in may have been a result of the trauma you experienced. And if you had contemplated that the way you're showing up in these relationships or your attraction to these types of relationships were a residual effect. And we had to process that for some time, that question. Mm-hmm. What are, what are your thoughts on that now? Um, absolutely. Uh, I, at one point, my former therapist that I had, we had worked with it as well, um, but not as in-depth as you and I have. And I don't think I was really ready to process that. And there were certain pieces that I can see 
I have taken from that trauma and brought into, you know, the things that I like sexually and things that have affected me in my relationships throughout an adult. Um, but the way that it has affected me um, in relationships, I don't think I realized the depth mm -hmm. um, that it has affected me until um, really working with you and kind of taking more accountability um, for also my part mm -hmm. in my trauma. What do you mean by that? Because that makes it sound like I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, like blaming you for what happened. What do you mean your your part in the trauma? So, it's not that I see the trauma as my fault, um, but I, I know I shared with you uh, one of the journal entries that I wrote about accepting responsibility for my part in my pain. So inflicting the pain on yourself as a response of the trauma you experienced. Yes, continuing to do so. Continuing to do so after it had ended. Yes, so that so was how... But it didn't end. Right, right. So continue having that pain inflicted on me as a child, not just sexually, but in other ways as well, um, but continuing to do so to myself by the choices that I've made because that's what I know knew to do. That was what I learned. Yes, that was what I learned. So I continued to do so even after I had started therapy. That was still my response to how to handle things. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's probably pretty uh, vulnerable. So thanks for choosing to do so. Um, and now, do you think you have kind of uh, decreased your self-induced harm as a result? So if I'm hearing you correctly, you went through this physical pain, physical and emotional pain. It was the first thing you had learned about levels of intimacy or your body or what ex forms of expression should be. So you continued to place yourself in situations or expose yourself or hurt yourself in, in a certain way. Then we process it or you, you know, you talked about it with other therapists. We've processed it. We went a bit deeper. And now are you at a place of acceptance? For a lot of things, yes. Um, there, We definitely have some work to do still. Um, but overall, yes, I am now to a point where I am less self-destructive. The accountability is what you so what you initially said. That's the part that you're being accountable for. Yes. Self-destruction. Okay. And has that made things, your sexual expression better? I think me being self-expressive in general um, has made things better. Uh, because before, with the trauma that I had experienced, that was never really something that I was used to, something that I felt comfortable or safe doing, um, expressing my emotions, expressing my thoughts, or f being okay being vulnerable enough to do so. Um, 
I'm, you know, trauma victims are always, you know, okay doing for others and protecting others, uh, looking out for others' needs and wants and all of that. But when it comes to doing so for ourselves or, you know, speaking for myself, um, doing so for myself, what's it matter? Like, I've never gotten what I need, what I wanted. I've never been protected. I've never been safe. Um, so why stand up for myself now? Um, but when I finally came to the point where I started practicing that, um, I started to feel better doing so. And it took a lot of practice um, and a couple of tries to get it right. Um, it didn't always go well. <laughs> um, but I think that was the point that made things better. Right. So a part of our work was navigating your, your relationship. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time on this note, uh, we were talking about, uh, unconditional positive self-regard, loving ourselves, things like that. And I gotten to a point where we were on this topic for a few sessions. And, and I finally said, you know, you don't have to love yourself more than your partner. You just have to love yourself more. Not more than someone, but I have to pour more into myself while I'm loving or being loved. Do you get that concept, man? I do. Um, it's hard to bring that to fruition sometimes still. Um, it's still, I think that's the main thing that I still struggle with sometimes, um, especially with the self-esteem, self-image issue still that we're working on. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still working on it. At least I can say that I am still making progress, still wanting to make progress. Well, it helps to, as a reminder, would you mind that uh, I don't have to love myself in as little as, or as just, excuse me, I'm going to love myself more, more than I am right now? Trying to stay positive, um, not letting myself be in my head. Um, that used to be one of my major problems was staying in my head a lot. Um, I wouldn't talk about things when I was feeling down or depressed or sad. Um, so not allowing myself to like kind of stay in that forest that is my head, um, whether it's writing or um, talking to somebody or um, even just you know, singing in the shower, you know, whatever it is to kind of get myself out of my own head um, has been one of the biggest things. And then being open to different forms of therapy, um, like EMDR that we've done um, before, I never would have really been open to that. Because I'm like, oh, who needs that? Like, that sounds like a bunch of fooey. <laughs> um, but being open to different things and trying different things and even like, you know, me trying art again and getting really into that and 
as a way to express myself and being open to writing again um, after my trust with that was violated. Um, just being open. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I know that sometimes there are misconceptions and misunderstandings about those who have experienced sexual trauma, childhood sexual trauma. What would you say if there was one biggest thing that came up or one pet peeve or thing that you were like, this is not always the case, so don't always perceive me or look at me in this way? What what would that be? Um, Just one. (laughs) Well, more more if you have more than one. Um, I would say probably one of the biggest ones is not everybody responds to trauma the same way. Um, you know, yes, it might be childhood sexual abuse, but there might be some general themes that everybody, you know, has as far as, you know, relationship issues or, you know, some flashbacks or whatever, but it doesn't look the same in everybody. So you can't just treat everybody as you know cookie cutter thank you so in my experience my professional and personal experience when dealing with these topics trust is a big thing and we always think about oh i have to figure out how to allow myself to trust another person again or trust someone with my safety or whatever it is and i believe in that but with our work i always uh I felt like had to remind us in the room to think about how we're trusting ourselves in situations moving forward. And once we trust that we can protect ourselves emotionally and physically, then it kind of opens the floodgates to actually do it kind of thing. Do you remember these conversations? And does that make sense for you? Yes. (laughs) Um, And I think that that definitely... Um, does ring true, um, especially with, you know, childhood trauma. Um, I think that I've always been fairly trusting, quote unquote, of others. Um, not that I like that word for other people, um, but it seems to more so ring true for myself, um, because, not being able to remember a lot of the stuff that happened. Um, it's like, well, how can I trust myself to make these decisions as an adult? Um, if, you know, I couldn't tell my parents or feel safe enough to tell my parents that this abuse was going on, um, you know, what kind of person wouldn't tell somebody that they were being abused or threatened or, um, something like that. So it's like you have a lot of mistrust for yourself. Um, and that's something that you have to, you struggle with and have to learn to let go and forgive yourself and move past. And I always say, thank yourself too, because, and I know, see, I can tell her because when we think of ourselves as humans and now we're, we're having a discussion that sounds very well thought out. Of course, if something is happening and you report it, you, we have all the information for it now, but we're adults. Not all five-year-olds have all the information necessary, particularly 
if parents don't have conversations about these type of things before they happen, right? Yeah. And after they have the conversations, once they realize that something happened to where now my child has had this experience, adverse experience, but just on a day-to-day basis, what's good, what's bad, what's appropriate. If someone threatens you, if someone says mom's going to die or, or, or I'm just making stuff up, like, mm-hmm. or I'm going to kill you or someone, this is our secret, whatever. How can a five-year-old distinguish the information they're getting when at that age, everything is real. <laughs> the two fairy, you know, Santa. So even these very serious things that are physically harmful and have a uh, very huge impact on our physical and emotional stability that is present, that is evident and is has more weight than a, a guy who comes down the chimney on a night that we never see. How can we hold that five-year-old accountable to knowing all the right or wrong things? except what we can thank them for is surviving it and doing whatever it was necessary for them to, even if that means waiting till they felt safe or had a strong enough voice to express what was going on, because what would have happened if they didn't in that moment? So even at a very primal young, young, young stage, we folks can adapt and figure out ways to survive and get through the moment and then heal later. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, you and I have gone back and forth about that quite a bit. (laughs) Um, And it does make sense logically. Um, And I think the the thing that has always kept me from fully jumping on your bandwagon is, you know, I don't have that five-year-old mindset anymore. I have a 30-something-year-old mindset and... I can't think like a five-year-old anymore. So my my brain is thinking like a 30-something and, and holding that accountable, accountable for a 30-something. Yeah. Should know. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of people need to get that there's a huge gap there. Yes. And we're talking about analyzing things, right? Your frontal lobe doesn't develop to your mid to late 20s. That's where all the analytical thinking takes place. You know, so for a five-year-old, they're still developing their brain and learning about the world and trying to figure things out. So that's why I think some of our work um, shifted to some inner child stuff and and some moments of going back and telling that kid that they were perfect, they're okay, they're lovable, they're worthy. Do you remember those days? Yes, those were definitely uh, some more difficult sessions. Were they helpful? Yes. Those were definitely helpful. I feel like um, I definitely got more out of those than um, some of the other sessions. Um, And I think that led to probably the majority of my journaling. So can you thank that five-year-old now? I do thank that five-year-old for surviving. And the 30-year-old for practicing self-care and healing. And the 30-something-year-old for surviving and practicing self-care. I like it. I like it a lot. A lot of survivors, um, is survivors an okay word for you? Survivors is is... I guess an okay word, yeah. Okay. So a lot of many survivors um, face unique challenges in sharing their stories. 
Um, what motivated you to speak up about your experience? What motivated me? I've always really been open to talking about what's happened to me. Um, but over the years, I think it's changed. Um, why? Um, I've never been quiet about what's happened to me. Um, but now I think it's more to be more open about it for me. Um, to, like I said, stay out of my head, um, and be more honest with myself. Um, and then also to honestly help other people. Um, I used to, you know, work in mental health a lot. And I know that telling, you know, my story has helped other young women and men. Um, so to know that my story and see how to see how far that I've come um, can impact somebody else and see that they can make it through their difficult days as well. Cool. So there are two um, areas I think people demonstrate strength. Like the first, obviously, is to find the strength and courage to actually begin the healing process or get find some way, whether that's therapy or some other outlet to, to begin your healing process. And then there is a certain strength that allows someone to continue. And I know, and in, in, if it's okay for me to share in your experience, you, 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 I want you to share about your, you know, the strength to start, but we've talked about how many therapists you've gone through mm -hmm. and, and uh, the incredible strength, I think, to to continue seeking support up until like this moment now. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me about, you know, what helped to start the process, the healing process, and what helps you to keep it going? Um, so initially what started it uh, was not really my choice per se. Okay. Um, I don't remember if we ever talked about that. Um, I was working in mental health and I had been assaulted by a couple of different patients and, um, I had surgery and when I was coming out of anesthesia, I, uh, appar apparently had been fighting the nurses, um, and screaming, no, stop, don't touch me like over and over and attempting to hit them and scratch them and all this other stuff. Um, and of course, I don't remember this because I was coming out of anesthesia, but once I had gone back to the doctor for a follow-up, I was told by the doctor, this is what occurred. And she had asked me um, if I'd ever had any childhood trauma or trauma in general. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I've dealt with that. Like, I'm good. <laughs> At that point, I was early 20s. And, you know, I've been through group therapy, individual therapy, family therapy up until a teenager. I'm good, right? Um, but no. So she was like, I think you should see a therapist. I uh, don't think you're quite over everything. Um, and me being stubborn, I'm like, I'm good. Um, but then stuff started piling up and um, I was at work 
one day and a supervisor undermined me in front of a patient and I started yelling at her in front of the patient. Um, so I guess that was the point where I looked at myself and I was like, I might need help. Um, so things just, life just showed you that you, you needed to make it. Yes. Yeah. Life showed me I needed to make a choice. Um, and what has continued to, um, motivate me to get help, um, is really, I guess, life. Um, I, there's been times, of course, where I've stopped seeing my therapist and every time I go without seeing my therapist, something hits me and, um, you know, it'll be a couple of months or whatever and something comes along and I am not equipped to handle it. Um, and of course, you know, that'll also be times where I stop taking my medication and, um, you know, I make all the wrong decisions that I shouldn't and uh, cut people out of my life, not have a support system. Um, so do all the things that I'm not supposed to do to support myself and provide self-care. Um, and then go back to my therapist and things get on track again and take my medication again and um, so I realized I go through cycles and I finally got tired of going through the cycles of starting all over again, um, time after time. Um, and so the, I've noticed the more that I stick with it, the better that I feel, um, and the more progress that I make. So now feeling better is the motivator. Yes. Lastly, is there anything else you would like to share with the audience? Um, any message of hope or resilience for someone who might have or is experiencing what you've gone through? There is hope. Um, it does require a lot of work, um, but it is possible to get out of the funk that is you know, your trauma, your negative beliefs, your negative um, self-image, your doubts, all of that. Um, you just have to work at it and have a good support system. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here. Well, welcome back. Thank you. I am actually happy to be back. Yeah, this is, um, this is, a. Uh... I don't want to say unprecedented because we've had people come back before, right? But this is different. You asked to come back this time around. I did. At the end of our last session, you said that you wish we had redone this or done this uh, podcast about trauma, sexual trauma, uh, now as opposed to earlier because you would say so much differently. Yes. I did ask you um, to do this over or that I wished we had waited until mm -hmm. now to do the podcast because I feel like my perspective on things has done like a 180. Okay. Anything in particular? That's caused it or or I mean like what's the perspective? Yeah. Is it like this concept of myself? 
this understanding of trauma, um, this way of engaging in relationships, this way of engaging in sex, this what what uh all of the above. Okay. Okay. I don't know where to go from there. Tell me more, I guess. <laughs> I mean, wherever you want to start. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of it has been started with the realization of I guess more focusing on me. Okay. Um, so I think a lot of the trauma I've kind of had the perspective that it was an external influence and it was something that I needed to deal with externally, mm. that it wasn't internal and it. I know it affected me, but that it wasn't something that I had to deal with on, I guess, I don't want to say personal level, Mm -hmm. but I can't think of another word. So you felt like this was an external thing, not an internal thing. And you had to fix the way the world viewed you then or or the way you responded to the world because of your... So I think more, maybe kind of along those lines. So maybe I think it was that I had to process my response and emotions towards the people involved in my trauma and not how I have responded to my trauma. Gotcha. So when we first met, you came in thinking, I'm going to work on this trauma and try and change how I view other people who are involved or my family members, or I'm not going to get too much in the the weeds about what happened to you. But the the folks who um, hurt my mind, my body, my soul, whatever, right? Right. As opposed to what I need to do to heal and what I might have done in conjunction to that or as a response to that. Yes. Okay. Yes. So like my responses and feelings and emotions towards the other people involved Mm -hmm. instead of my personal emotions towards myself and the things that I've also done to cause my own pain in addition to the trauma and to continue my trauma. So did one have to happen before the other? Did you have to like forgive somebody before you forgave yourself or vice versa? Or do you not forgive the external and it's all about the internal and that's the only thing that matters right now or feels good for you? I think it kind of happens all at once. Okay. Um, I think it was more of a realization that once I became more comfortable with myself and more confident with myself and started finding my voice, then the rest started not to matter. Mm. The external started. The external. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And like we had already started, you know, processing those, like started taking those layers away. Right. With like EMDR, psilocybin, all those different things. Yes. Okay. But then that, I think that what really clicked was that last psilocybin journey and that just really made everything kind of come together. Okay. And I just felt completely different after that. What's the difference? 
freedom. Okay. I walked out of there feeling completely like free. Even during like I felt weightless and free and even though the experience itself wasn't as great as ones before. Right. Um physically at least mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was i think maybe part of it is that i've kind of connected that as well like you can go through something physically challenging mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter it makes you stronger it's a part of who you are but it doesn't define who you are mm. okay so you know are no longer defined by the things that happened to you in your childhood Yes. Okay. What are you defined by now? To be determined. I can choose what I want to be defined by. Of course we can. Oh my, I don't know what to say to that. That's um pretty awesome. And I think I would have never walked in when we first met and that would have never came out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. That's so beautiful to hear. I'm really happy to hear that. What else is different for you? You have some freedom. You define yourself now on your own terms. Um, I actually feel like I have a voice. Um, I use it. Uh, That was a big thing when uh, we first met. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't, I would express what I felt like I wasn't getting in a relationship or at work or what the issues were to you because it was a safe space, but... I wasn't able to do that in those relationships Mm. and working through, you know, EMDR and journaling and all of that. um, I have been able to keep that up. Um, Even last night had a difficult conversation with my spouse Mm -hmm. Um, and it was anxious and a little nerve wracking, but we got through it and, I'm alive and here and worked it out like an adult and it felt good. 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 From the first time we met, which is, I don't know, less than a year ago. I don't want to say. Like nine? Maybe nine months ago. So we've been working together for nine months. Through that nine month process, what was the hardest part of it all? I would say the hardest part is sometimes continuing to go on when it felt like things weren't getting better as quickly as I would have liked them to. And what helped you to keep going? Support. Okay. Um, reminding myself that things take time. Um, and you reminding me that things take time, um, kind of having those external mm-hmm. s- support system people right. to help remind me. Yeah. And not to like, I don't know, think about if we're going to keep this in or not. Uh, obviously, erase this part. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate to say or anything, but uh, nine months for processing complex sexual trauma is like, that's <laughs> that's um pretty pretty good work that you did. That's like some hardcore um 
effort to put in. And I always say, I always say, uh, you know, there's not much that I can do as a therapist. You know, I can tell you the roadmap. I can say left means this way, right means this way, turn around means we'll be in this direction, going forward will mean th this direction, but you are in the car, you drive, and you ultimately put your foot on the gas and, and make the turn. And, um, or make the decision along along this journey of this thing called therapy. And uh, you definitely were like adamant about making sure you were going in the direction you wanted to go. And nine months of getting to a point where we have our session and you're like, hey, I think, um, think I'm healthy and I am beautiful. I can say that I love myself, that I will love myself more. Um, I can look at myself in the mirror and not have a problem or see that there are some things that I don't, I want to change, but that doesn't mean anything about me. It just means I want to change them. And for someone who's gone through what you've gone through and the amount of time that you've gone through it, it's really a testament. So like, give yourself a pat on the back. That's, that's pretty huge. Do you acknowledge or realize that? I definitely do. I think that there is a big difference between the nine months in therapy with you because i told you that you're not my first therapist mm -hmm. um i was in therapy for eight years prior to you mm -hmm. and i think i've mentioned that i feel like i've gotten more out of therapy with you than i ever did with my prior therapist or a collection or maybe or, they prepared yeah. you for this yes of therapy, um, but i think that's know? more on that i wanted to put forth more effort and you were ready and yes, and I was more ready to accept things, change things, acknowledge my part, mm -hmm. um, and the different, you know, modalities of treatment and things like that. Um, I think the combination of everything mm -hmm. helped me um, get to where I am mm -hmm. that quickly. What made your readiness this time when you first met me? Um, uh, different because i remember I, I, I asked are you comfortable with a male therapist are you comfortable you know with all of these things and you're just like no, i'm uncomfortable we're gonna do it right <laughs> so what made this time kind of different or what helped with that um i wasn't started the relationship that i'm currently in okay. and i could realize and see that it was a genuinely good person for the first time, I think, a healthy relationship or had the potential to be a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And he was genuinely supporting me and pushing me to be a better me, mm -hmm. which scared me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't used to having somebody push me to be better without any expectations. And that kind of like triggered a warning system internally mm -hmm. like run gotcha but i had to like halt that and like i know we we've talked about that a couple of times when we first met like i don't know if he's the one like this is a ridiculous like <laughs> get ready for the marathon yeah. yes um <laughs> But just working through it and kind of having to remind myself, like, I don't want things to be like they have been. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way that things are going to change is if I do things differently. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. You have anything for me? 
I have thoroughly enjoyed working with you and thank you for everything. (laughs) And I hope that everyone who works with you is just as supported and gets to experience what I have one day. I hope they do too. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you. You're listening to the after session, but we're not done yet. Make sure you look out for part two. Be good to yourself. You've been listening to the after session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the after session or follow me on Instagram at the after session underscore. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one L-A-W underscore music. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself.